You're listening to OMAG All Access, a podcast about all things affecting municipalities in Oklahoma, hosted by OMAG Risk Management Specialist, Kip Pritchard. Hi, this is Kip Pritchard, OMAG Risk Management Specialist, and this is OMAG All Access. Uh, today, I've got a guest speaker with me, M.G. Govia. He's the Education and Outreach Liaison for Oki 811. And we are going to talk about everything municipalities need to know about not cutting lines so that we don't have to pay claims for gas line cuts, electric line cuts, cable cuts, telephone lines, and things like that. So, uh, M.G., I'm going to... Uh, Turn it over to you. I may ask some questions just to make sure we cover everything, but you go go to town. All right. Well, first of all, Kev, thank you so much for inviting me out. I know that OK One is a necessary nuisance. Um, we are um, a middleman of the whole process of safe excavation and damage prevention. And no matter what industry or what part of a stakeholder we are in excavation, there's a requirement to use OK One. And what we wanted to focus on today, like you said, is on the side of excavation. Obviously, m- most of our m- municipalities are going to be members of OK1, which means they're protecting their utilities that they provide. But what about doing work around all the other utilities and what else is out there? And so we want to avoid damage claims. We want to avoid hitting like everything you said, telecommunication, water, gas, any other thing that may be underground near your utilities. And we want to make the process as clean as possible. Make sure it's understood. And so we'll kind of take off down that rabbit hole and try to make sure everybody out there in the construction side of um, public works or utility management knows what we're doing and how to get the job done. Well, we'll just go ahead and I'll I'll ask a question here. Uh, What is the most important thing municipal excavators can do to prepare for an excavation? Well, the work planning is number one, right? Don't rush jobs. Um, that is usually where failure comes in the communication process. The way that the law reads is an excavator is to give no less than two business days notice, not including the date of notification, weekends or holidays. So that means if a project needs to be done on or started on Thursday, the earliest you can or the latest you can call us would be that Monday, right? So Monday you call. Monday doesn't count because that's the date of notification. Tuesday and Wednesday is the 48 hours that gives all the utility companies, all their locators, the opportunity to go out and mark lines and provide positive response. And then Thursday would be the earliest that someone could dig if a call was made on Monday. So what we want to do is give plenty of notice. If you can give till Friday or the following week, go ahead and do that. A lot of the larger companies with those third-party locating companies, they're going to respond and hopefully be there in time. Not a problem at all. But if you give more time, to smaller municipalities, rural water districts, things of that nature. All you're doing is giving yourself that much more of a cushion to make sure those lines are uh, marked and positively responded to. And I'm going to use that phrase, positive respond, a lot. And what that is, is through our ticket management, the locators or the utility company that are responding to the locate request, they can respond through that and communicate the status of that locate. They can say, hey, I've marked those lines or, hey, I've had issues getting into that backyard, or it's all clear. They can communicate one way so that the escalator can know what to do next. You know, a lot of our, uh, we have a water main break or a water line break or something like that. Are there provisions to do an emergency locate? Absolutely. And that's the next thing I was going to dive into. So it's almost like we're reading each other's mind. Here we go. 
So the only exception to that 48-hour notice, not including the data notification, is when there's an endangerment to life, health, or property. So if there's an endangerment to life, health, or property, water main breaks, things of that nature, yes, please call in that emergency notice. Give Still give as much time as possible. If you call and you know that it's going to take four to six hours before you get your crew together or that part or that equipment that you need, please give that entire amount of time. We're going to ask for a minimum of two hours. The reason we're asking for that is just to give those utilities an opportunity to have some time to get their stuff in order to get out there, right? But once that emergency call is made, let us know, give us as much time as possible, and then we're going to notify those utilities. I do want to stress, though, that all those, this is an exception on the amount of notice you can give. It is not like a green light just to dig. You still have to do all due diligence. If a telecommunication company hasn't made it out there, you can't assume that they're not there. You can't just plow through that fiber line. That's expensive. You have to show that you're trying to avoid those things, even though there was an emergency. We know you have to dig, but we're not saying be dangerous. We're just giving the utility companies shorter amount of notice because you have to dig. I know one of the things that over the years that I've seen with a lot of the claims that we've dealt with, usually a municipality's utilities are the first ones to go in. Sewer lines, water lines, things like that. And then you have the gas companies, the cable companies, telephone companies. And a lot of times their lines are lying on top of ours. So what can municipal excavators do to protect themselves and property from utility claims like cut lines? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So there is a lot of times where that right away or that easement is shared. I know, for example, Tulsa does a great job of easement sharing. They have a, a policy that anybody who shares their right away have to be okay with one members so that they know that every time Tulsa is doing work on their lines, they're going to see everybody else on that locate request because they make it enforceable. So there's ways to improve that communication. If you are sharing easement or right away area, be in communication with those companies. Say, hey, telecommunication company, I know you're right here with us. Make sure you're a member. Make sure you're in good standing. Make sure that you're responding to those locate requests because we're going to be working in those same areas. And so that opportunity for collaboration and communication is the first step. The second step on top of that is understanding what's in your area. A municipality has more information than the average construction crew. Not only do you have your crews that are going to go out there and do that work on that water line or that gas line or whatever that municipality provides, but you already know what's in your area. It's your city. It's your town, right? And so you have an opportunity to talk with those telecommunication companies, the gas providers, other utilities in the area to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And it's an opportunity to collaborate to keep everybody safe. I always say during my presentations that I can go really deep into the Oklahoma Underground Facilities Damage Prevention Act. And that law was started in 1979, went into effect in 1982. And I can bore you to death <laughs> when it comes to the law. But honestly, if you just take away the fact that 811 at its core is open up communication to keep everybody safe, the other things can come in the line. And so that's when the municipality can talk to those other utilities that are in the area. Understand, hey, we all have a job to do. I'm just trying to get this person's water going. You want to make sure they can make phone calls. Just make sure we're all keeping each other's facilities safe and then, of course, ourselves safe. And you mentioned the OKI 811 laws. So um, what are 
any recent changes to the underground utility laws? Yeah, great question is good. Um, so the law, like I said, started out in 1982 when it became official. And so it's been around for 40 years. A lot of stuff has gone on. And in the last four years, three updates have been made. Three, like, updates to the entire law. Um, luckily, this year, it's the first time in a while, nothing's been updated. So we're, the most recent updates was November 1st of 2021, where the length or the life of a ticket has been defined as 14 calendar days. There's no exception. So if I printed a ticket, like our example earlier on Monday, and my work to begin date and time is at Thursday, then my ticket life is 14 days from Thursday. On that 14th day, my ticket expires at midnight. If I'm still working, I need to make sure I update that ticket before the expiration, at least two business days before, not counting the day notification, so that it keeps going. Good news is you don't have to have a calendar on you at all times. We put that information on every single ticket. We have an update by date and an expiration date, so you know what you're doing when you're putting in your new tickets. So that was a big step that happened with the definition of that. The other thing that came about and that gets brought up a lot is the ability for member companies to recoup costs for fraudulent or excessive locate requests. So these fall under two categories. There's the non-emergency emergency locates. So remember earlier we said the only exception to the amount of notice is if there's an endangerment to life or health or property. If you forgot to install a water main on Tuesday, that's not an emergency, right? There's not an endangerment to life, health or property, just someone's mad at you. That's not an emergency. That's just lack of planning. So if that happens frequent enough, the member companies who are responding to that locate request could pass on reasonable costs to recoup that locate request because they have to reprioritize, right, to get to that. And the other thing is excessive or unreasonable locates. So if a utility company says that it's going to take them two months to put in a couple miles of electric poles, okay, if it's taking six months, eight months, 10 months, and no work is being done, there's no equipment, there's not even any fresh dirt, those locators could probably reasonably assume that these are fraudulent locator requests, that the work isn't taking place. So they have the ability to invoice for reasonable costs to recoup those locates. So that law has been around for a year now. To my understanding, to my knowledge, nobody's actually pursued any cost in that. I'm hoping it's a barking point and not a lot of bite because I don't want uh, the community out there just fighting over, well, you weren't here, you put in a fraudulent locate request and go back and forth. It's not going to be conducive to, to a safety culture that we want out in the field. But what it does give is the member companies an opportunity to say, hey, we need the waste out of the system and just be aware that this is a waste of our time. If you're not working, if you're not working within 14 calendar days, let the ticket expire. Bring it back when you come back. You're, that's only making everything, the whole process better. Because like I said earlier, I get bored to death with the law, but I can remind you it's always about communication and collaboration to keep everybody safe. Two big things I picked up off of that was uh, a ticket only lasts 14 days from the time you call it in, right? Or the date. Sort of. Uh, it's of, from the date that you say you're going to begin. Okay, the date you say you're going to begin to work. And then you have 14 days. If it takes you longer, which we hope it doesn't take 14 days to fix a water line break, right. then you have to extend the ticket, call them back and, and relocate it. And mm. then the other thing is planning, planning, planning. It's very important. If you have a project, you don't want to call OK 811, have the utilities come out 
and then you haven't even started your project or really don't even plan on starting that project for a couple of weeks, months, mm. things like that. So it's right. plan ahead. Yeah, and there's a way to plan even on the design stages. If you are in the design stage and you're like, you know what, I know that this housing development is coming in. We need to know what we're going to do when it comes to the utilities going in that area and that design stage. The law right now does not have anything carved out saying, hey, call in and we'll just send out surveyors. There's not a part of it. Right. Um, but we do have an option of a design request where by letting us know that you're in the design phase, that we can put together a, a ticket, a notification, if you will, to have engineers, GIS or mapping people uh, get in contact with you to help you with that planning. So that's an option for you as well. So even if you're that far ahead on planning, we still can help you with that. That's great. I, I think that's something that our municipalities could take advantage of in the planning stages to get in touch with you guys and work with the other utilities. That's an excellent tool. How can municipal excavators take advantage of new technologies to assist them in avoiding other utility lines and cutting them? Absolutely. Um, one way is obviously improve your mapping. So this is twofold for my municipality listeners, right? Which should be everybody. I don't know who else is getting a hold of your podcast, but municipalities especially, hear me out. You have two roles with OKable One. Obviously, you are going to be doing work and, and installing and maintaining utilities that you provide for your communities. But also, you're protecting those underground facilities that you are providing for your communities as well. So the better your mapping is with us, the fewer locates you're going to receive because they're going to be more relative to where your utilities are. And you can actually be more focused on both sides of the process. And then also when it comes to technology, positive response that I talked about earlier, going back and looking at the ticket and seeing where this natural gas company has been there and they've already marked. This telecommunication company has already been there and already marked. And you can go all the way down and see that everybody's been there. Cool. Now you can mobilize your crew and go do something. If you're going down the list of the companies that should have marked and somebody hasn't yet, cool, can, can you use your crew somewhere else? Do you have more than one project going on? Can you help get a project done faster somewhere else while putting in a second notice and say, hey, telecommunication company, you haven't been here yet. We need you here by tomorrow because we are going to work tomorrow. So that gives a heads up to those who may not have made it in time before that work to begin date and time. And you're planning ahead that much better. So use the technology of that communication tool. And then, like I said earlier, the mapping part of it, if you're in the design phase, use mapping, ask for maps, talk about that with those connections that we're going to give you. And then at the project, preserve those markings, provide your own paint and flies to keep the markings that they've already brought out to you. Keep those alive, take plenty of photos, make sure that they're there so you can use that to keep the project area as well documented throughout the project as you can. Okay, and I'm glad you brought up the idea of photos because it's my understanding that just because somebody comes out and flags and marks a line, that line may not be right where that line is. So they have two feet on either side of wherever that marking is or that flag is. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, okay. the markings are an approximate location within two feet horizontally. So just like you said, if I see a yellow paint and flag, yellow is the APWA color for gas. So I know this is a gas pipeline or a gas distribution. It's running within two feet either side of what I see on the ground. Okay. So I'm going to um, hand dig to expose that. I, cause, I call this the discovery of the 3Ds. 
the depth, uh, direction, and distance of those underground facilities within your project area. You're going to find those by hand. And then um, once you have exposed them, protected them, and supported them, then you can bring in the heavy equipment to dig even further outside of it if necessary. So that's really important. Also, the Oklahoma Corporation Commission is the enforcement agency of the entire law. OK, when one doesn't have little cop cars, um, the OCC um, comes out. And within the law, it talks about markings around hydrocarbon and hazardous pipeline. If there isn't markings there, you're breaking the law before even a shovel goes down. So we want to make sure that, especially around gas distribution or any other oil and gas, that you always have a locate request called in. First of all, you have to have a ticket. And B, that there's markings. And then preserve those markings. Because if those markings ever go away or your ticket goes out, you're now breaking the law. Before 2021, the law was the determined liability. So I'm out there and nothing happens. Cool, nothing happens. Nobody cares, right? Now, if you're out there and there's a pipeline marker within view of where you're working and you didn't put in a locate request, now you're breaking the law and now you can be fined. Mm-hmm. And that fine is up to $25,000 a day. Wow. Up to $2 million. So OCC has teeth now, right? So this is something that's very important. And of course, the reason for that is pipeline is a dangerous thing to work around. Not as far as hopefully worker safety, but dangerous is environment, mm-hmm. fire and things like that. So we want to make sure that we be smart around those pipelines. And the OCC has that enforcement authority around those. So when it comes to protecting yourself in a work area, Take the time, document what you found, verify all the markings. Even if it's a little bit outside of your work area, go ahead and make sure it's there. Because what if that one time that uh, telecommunication locator made a mistake and it was four feet away and four feet away is in your work area? Well, go ahead and try to find it just to make sure it is clear for you. And then once you do have everything verified, take pictures, document, document, document. Uh, what you want to do is document as the project starts. Um, it's recommended to do that every few days because obviously more digging is going to take place. If weather comes and wipes away all your markings and you didn't have a chance to preserve them with your own paint or your own flags, go ahead and stop the work. Give us a call, put in a second notice or excuse me, an update ticket. Give those uh, companies an opportunity to come back out, get their lines marked again so you can dig safe because now they're preserved again and then continue work. So document preserve, document, preserve until that project is complete. As a risk manager, one of the things that I, when I'm doing safety meetings and stuff and we're talking about excavations, documentation is is key. Take pictures. Most everybody nowadays has a smartphone with a camera on mm-hmm. it. Take pictures before you even put a bucket in the ground uh, of the whole area. And then as you're digging, you're going to restore you know, those markings and things, take those pictures. If you come across anything that's outside that four-foot section, you want to document that with pictures so that if a line gets cut or something like that, it can help us prove Mm -hmm. that the city is not, or the municipality is not liable for that. So uh, from a risk management perspective, that's kind of where I look at it from there. Yeah, and I'm uh, sure that all your crews or anybody who uh, listens to this podcast uh, already has what happens after a hit, what happens after a damage. Because now we're telling you what to do before and right? right? Document everything, show that you're doing everything right. But if an accident does happen, I'm not out to determine who's liable. Um, right. Okay, well, one, none of us are lawyers. I don't want to be a lawyer. That sounds like a lot of work. But what I do want to do is give everybody the best opportunity to be safe 
and understand how the law works to a point to where if a damages do occur, they can have the best evidence to where that line is. Because a lot of people ask, like, when does liability shift from the locator to the excavator? Or when does it go back to the locator, right? Because I'm out here working. Like, can I just give it back to them now? Because they put the flags down. And in reality, what happens is it's it's looking backwards. A accident happens, a damage occurs. And then what happens is those insurance companies, they're going to communicate back and forth. They're going to go, well, what all did you do to protect that underground line? Talking to the utility companies. Right. Well, I responded to a locator request. I went out there. I put paint flags down, blah, blah, blah. And then the escrow is going to go, well, I took pictures. And where I hit wasn't even marked. This was actually... Over here, you apparently had a second telecommunication line that you didn't see, and I hit that. And then they can go back and forth and determine that. So it doesn't go from, well, I was out there, now it's, now it's on you. Well, now I'm digging, now it's back to you. It doesn't go like that. They just work backwards and go, who did the most to prevent this damage? Because if an escalator didn't do anything, didn't call 811, there's no more argument. Like you, It doesn't matter what happened because the member company didn't have a chance to protect it. Well, you called 811, cool. You, did you give the oper- operator enough time to come out and locate? Cool, you did. Operator, did you mark everything correctly? Okay, you did. Hey, excavator, did you not use heavy equipment within the hard zone, or were you out there with a bucket right over the markings? Oh, okay, you did understand the tolerance zone. The locator, did you get everything right? So it just keeps going back and forth until they can actually see the whole picture and then go backward. When it comes to liability, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Document preserved, document preserved through the project. If something does happen, you have more things to stand on because if you're doing that part, you probably did everything else to also prevent damage also. Okay. Well, this is a lot of information. I'm hoping that people that listen to this will pass you know, this podcast on to their supervisors, their line people, but they may have questions. So you being the education and outreach liaison for OK811, would you mind giving us your contact information so that if people have questions or, you know, ideas or whatever, they can pass it on to you? Yeah, definitely. So it's really easy to get a hold of me. My email address isn't my complicated name. It's actually just the word education. So education at ok811.org is my email address. Shoot me um, your questions. Um, I'll be happy to help out. If you need dedicated training, whether you want me to jump on a Zoom call or come to your to your uh, city, just let me know. I'll be happy to help out. All of our training is for free. Um, we just have to work out the logistics of it, but I'm here for you as a member company. Okay, what's that uh, OK811 email address? Yeah, my or, email address. Not email, um, webpage, I'm sorry. No, I got you. Uh, let me do both. Email address, education at ok11.org. Website, www.ok11.org. We'll be happy to make sure that you get all the training that you need. Okay. And if you have any other questions or you need more information, feel free to give me a call, Kip Pritchard, uh, 1-800-234-9461, extension 1410. Or my email is kpritchard, P-R-I-C-H-A-R-D, at omag.org. Thank you very much, MG, for giving us all this information. And thank you for uh, participating in uh, OMAG All Access. Thank y'all. Bye-bye. We hope you can take something away from this podcast that will help your city or town. You can find more information about OMAG on our website 
at www.omag.org or on our Facebook page. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or ideas for a podcast topic, please send them to allaccess at omag.org. On the next episode of OMAG All Access. You come in the next day and you may have a water, a building full of water. If that does happen to you or one of your members, uh, the best thing to do is obviously uh, investigate, find out where that water is coming from first off. Try to get that water turned off. If you need to contact the plumber, contact the plumber. Then you need to try to assess, assess the damages to the building. What all got wet? You know, how far did the water get? One of the things you need to consider is how long the water was actually running before it was discovered. That's important because it helps you determine whether or not you may be able to clean the water up yourself or if you need to get a professional water restoration company involved. If the water's been sitting for, say, overnight or and you have two or three inches of water in your building, I would suggest you get a water restoration company. Um, typically, that water will wick up and saturate into your drywall. And if you were to just come in and extract that water and think you got it dry, you're sadly mistaken. Several days later, you'll start seeing mold on the walls. You'll have more problems there than you, you had originally thought. This episode is copyright OMAG 2023 under the Creative Commons 4.0 Attribution, Non-Commercial, Non-Derivatives International License. For more information, please visit creativecommons.org.